Hello, hello, and welcome to Hospitality and the Infinite Game, a podcast series focused on answering one simple question. What type of hospitality industry do we actually want to create? In these episodes, Michael and David discuss big ideas that might set the foundation for a different model of success. A model which would allow us to piece together a bold new way forward, where our businesses can thrive whilst making a positive impact on people, communities and the planet. We make no claims to have all the answers, far from it in fact, but we hope these conversations might just get you thinking. We are learning and hopefully you'll learn with us. So join us. The game is afoot and it's an infinite one. Well, we are back, David, after uh, a little pause or a little break over well, how many months? Seven months? Six I'm try- months? I'm trying to think now. It feels like a lifetime, doesn't it? But yeah. we're still here. Uh, the pandemic is petering out, hopefully. Let's not think too far ahead. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been challenging. But I guess at least it's kind of good to reflect that actually it was the pandemic that started us off on this yeah. journey together. Maybe it gave us the impetus and the time to think but yeah now we're back and we've got some more ideas and uh, more stuff to share hopefully Um, I know today we're going to be talking about growth and the nature of growth and I think we both had a lot to think about on this subject Um, as we come out of COVID now I don't know about you but it seems every day I'm reading something on Propel or MCA about another CEO that's coming out and said we see an opportunity for another 100 sites in three years or 30 sites in the next year and a half or there are these headline numbers of growth about being taking on more units and just being bigger and bigger and people seeing this huge opportunity and I think you and I both have concerns that that default thinking around growth is going to just come back and it'll be business as usual Um, and we thought that hopefully the pandemic maybe gave us a chance as an industry to to look for a better way or a different way Um, and you suggested this book today that we could have a look at that was a really amazing model for that I know you've studied this a lot more than me so I'm excited to to learn what you've learned from it Um, but do you want to tell us a bit about the the book we're talking about today? Yeah and I totally agree on all the things you you said uh, David Uh, it's a it, uh, I would say it's being concerning and just thinking a bit about what what we do today will have a huge impact in five years time and I think that's well, maybe even in 10 years time as an industry uh, what the individual and I think Danny Meyer said it very well I think this is back in the early 2000s he said uh, I've made much more money by choosing the right things to say no to than choosing the things to say yes to I measure it by the money I haven't lost and the quality I haven't sacrificed. And I think that set us really well up to the book we're going to be talking about today because we're going to be talking about big doesn't equal great or greatness. And there's a great book which called Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. And he looks at companies from different industries that are actually taking a different approach, actually gone against the, the normal mill of growth. They haven't really been focusing on growth. They've probably been focusing on impact, not meaning they were not interested in making money, but they used money as a means to actually create impact. And we talked a bit about, you know, that last year uh, when we recorded the first six episodes where we talked purpose uh, over profit. 
in yeah, a way. absolutely. And then there was the, the whole idea within donor economics of moving away from the, the word growth to the word thriving. And for me, when I read this book that you recommended, Small Giants, I very much got that. It was a series of case studies on exactly that approach because these are not companies that are not making money. They are generally, although there are some exceptions in there, um, and it's interesting actually because there's a there's a 10-year-on update in here, which we'll get to towards the end, but most of them are very healthy, long-term, profitable businesses. It's just that they've taken a different approach and have resisted, I guess, the, the standard temptations to give up control in order to grow this thing to get it as big as possible. And in the hospitality space, classically, as we know, that's a case of getting more units, getting that that is the way you get a bigger business. You this is just the default path. And clearly, we know there are reasons for that. Um, and it'll be good to dig into, I think, the nuance around growth, because I don't think actually either of us would ever say that growth is bad. Nope. And it would be sort of silly and naive to sit here and go, ah, oh, anyone that's growing their units in the next few years, oh, you've got you know, completely the wrong priorities. Clearly, that's that's not the case at all. Growth can be a very good thing. But I think what we wanted to, to highlight today with this is, is the, a different type of growth and a different emphasis of growth. And it may end up being one with more units, but there are different ways to do it. And they come from a different set of principles that these businesses have, have really highlighted so I, I guess maybe the first thing will be to go through what we saw as the key ideas in the book um, what we thought or what we thought what Bo Burlingham thinks were the characteristics of these types of company that that tied them all together and then we guess can reflect on that and how we think that sits with hospitality and also um, you know, in the context of hospitality and the infinite game, the type of industry we want to create, how those types of company might sit within it. So what was what was kind of the first key idea that you picked out within there when you were reflecting on on it as a book? So, so I read the book uh, a couple of times. I said this with many books uh, I really like. And actually this book came on, and I think some people out there already know, I'm a very big fan of Good to Great. And then there was a, a guy I knew really well and he knew how much I'd like to try to understand is there a different way when you want to build a great company and he gave me this book he said this is probably much more practical than good to great where good to great talks about the concept and looks at very big companies that's on the stock exchange or have just IPO'd and as they actually do that whole study you know it's based on financial results in principle and he said, Bob Burlingham, that, yeah, that's all great. But there's this, you know, all these smaller companies that's doing great things, as you said, they uh, also have like really great, you know, results. But actually what I thought was really interesting, they were set out with the intent to do much more than that. They wanted to do, uh, they want to be great at what they're doing. They want to be the best. And I think uh, Tom from Onisberger talked about not just being three, but be five. Uh, in perception of customers and employees all the time and set the standard even higher. They want to create a great place to work. They wanted to provide great customer service, make contribution to the communities in different ways and uh, finding great way to, uh, to live their own lives. It was also about like fulfilling their own lives and their own needs. And I had a conversation with that with Ari from Singerman, who's also mentioned this. And we talked about leading yourself through the pandemic. And uh, he talked about the importance that is 
then you actually need to build a business that's good for you as well, because else you're not giving that back to the business. I think the key idea here for me was one of them definitely is that they really love what they did, these founders, and that passion really was fueled into it. And they rejected to give up this control to outside forces for any reasons, uh, because they just knew that was not the right thing for their business, and they found other ways to grow their business. Yeah, I think that's that was the thing um, I thought was really interesting as well. Is yeah, clearly that they've mentioned all having this strong passion to, and desire to be absolutely excellent at what they're doing and not be compromised in that. And I think that takes a certain personality to to, to have to put that first above the kind of shiny bright lights of, of growth and headline numbers and, and being seen as the success in the industry because you've got 20, 30, 100 sites based on your concept. Um, I think there's something really interesting in, in how they're united by all being privately owned. Um, and I think, you know, they either have a founder or a group of founders who are still in the business. They completely build the culture based on that idea and they won't give up the control by taking on outside investors because they don't want to dilute what they're doing and I think that that's a really interesting thing to see obviously that that has to limit certain growth ambitions because you're not taking on the outside capital um so but I think that's a, that's an intriguing thing to reflect on particularly at the moment um you know, that is the standard way to grow right you you get to a certain number and then you get some you know financial backing to to boost it further but that financial backing comes with the, the expectation that there will be a healthy return in in x years so you're kind of forced onto the growth treadmill a little bit by by doing that. Um, but the other thing I, th- I found really interesting was they talk about these kind of, it, it's a very deep humanity in there, like uh, that maybe sounds a little bit intangible, but they talk about extraordinarily intimate relationships with their employees, with their customers, with their suppliers, with the local community. They're all deeply rooted in a particular place as well. So these all strike me as businesses whereby you know they talk specifically about suppliers getting paid early and then building these positive relationships about um, employee perks not in the sense of having like a corporate tick box but just genuinely looking after people if things are going uh, are going a bit wrong and then the kind of culture that that, that creates inevitably becomes this self-reinforcing positive cycle so so that the, the way he captured that and noted that kind of humanity and the kind of intimacy I thought that was really really interesting as well um, and then the final thing I noticed was he calls it mojo which was a word I sort of struggled with a little bit because I, I couldn't quite understand what he was saying um, and I think he says they all have this quality and I think he, he defines it as a sort of intangible positive energy around the place um, I think later on he, he talks about it being the business equivalent of charisma and, and that that kind of resonated a bit more with me. Um, I still don't quite know what that is, but maybe that's that I think comes from that idea of the humanity of this thing. And, you know, we can see it in some businesses, you you know, if you deal with someone like Gail's Bakery or if you deal with you know, Honest Burger, you know, you've spoken to those people and you've had them on your podcast. You can you can feel it coming from them that they are in tune with um the way their whole business works there's a sort of sincerity and authenticity that runs through it um so, so those qualities i thought were were really fascinating what do, what do you think yeah and i, I think the it's like uh, i think also in the in, in in the book where they they quote 
Danny Meyer. They have uh, two hospitality businesses in there. You know, they have uh, Singerman's and uh, Union Square Hospitality. And Danny Meyer, he talks a lot about, you know, the soul of a business. And I think that's also what he talks about when he talks about the Mojo. How do you keep the soul? And it's a bit like, it's like very untangible, but in a mm. way that's like their guiding stars as the founders that how can we actually, you know, maintain and improve that soul? Uh, and we're going to come on to what did they do with growth then? Because when I say Danny Meyer, people say, well, he, he definitely grew his business. But it's going to be interesting how he did that. And it's like almost this mojo and soul were the compass of how they actually move forward as a business. Because, you know, both these businesses, both Unisquare Hospitality and Singamerans, they have decades of operating. So they actually survived for many years yeah. through many crises. Yeah. A lot of resilience built into that model, isn't it? Which I think is the interesting yeah. thing that, that's kind of highlighted there. And I guess, um, I know you've um, interviewed one of the, the, the kind of founders from, from Zingerman's on a previous podcast, which is certainly well worth anyone listening to. Um, but should we outline briefly, I mean, how Zingerman's have approached growth from their perspective? I think as an individual overview case study, that's quite useful to, for people to if they're asking the question, well, what does this other type of growth mean? What, what, what do you mean not, not taking on more units? The Zingerman's yeah. is quite interesting, right? Because that's also not a small company. I think, was it turnover something like $55 million or something? Yeah. You know, that's uh, that would be a massive company for most hospitality businesses. Yeah. So they've achieved a financial freedom in, in their model, but they've just taken a very different approach. So do you want to outline that? Yeah. Um, I wanted to start somewhere else as well, just saying that, you know, these companies don't do the same things around growth. They all have their unique approach to it. And uh, it took a long time from Ari and Paul, mm. who is the founder of Singerman's, to find this way. Because they asked themselves the question, how can we grow this business without losing our soul, in principle, boiled down? And they created a vision over 10 years for Singerman's, uh, a four-page document. And they now, every 10 years, create a new vision mm. for the business. Where they're very clear about how they feel. You can go on the website and see where the vision is from 2032. But it is about growing the business. But it's in a specific area. They don't grow by going to another part of the country. They stay around Detroit and Arbor, where they founded the business, and they then build individual businesses in there. And they are... In the same ecosystem, they are community of businesses, they call, but they are not with all their own profit centers and so on and their own partners and senior management team, but they are part of the community and they can, the community can help. But they will have a business in you know, a restaurant, they will have a coffee business, they have a bakery business, they would have a farmer's markets, they would have a training company because they've learned a lot and mm. they train other people in what they do. So they have all these different, now I think it's 16 different businesses operating within there. And actually the whole idea is that they are building, you know, from day one, they're building entrepreneurs instead of employees. Yeah. And they are then always looking for, they're actually looking for the person before they're looking for the business idea. Mm. Because when they find the right people, they come up with the idea. So all these businesses has been built up often about an employee that worked in, a business and had an idea about why don't we do coffee we sell so much coffee why don't we actually set the bar higher and actually create our own coffee company yeah. so they created a roastery they created an e-commerce business as well so the reason why they can have over 50 million dollars is also because of course they're still doing business outside Ann Arbor but they're doing it through e-commerce and their training company so they just find different ways and all these businesses are built on the same philosophy 
an approach. And, and the founders' jobs, of course, have, have changed over years, but they're still involved and they're still active out in these businesses in the front line. And I think Ari, he calls it by leading by pouring water. So every night he's at the restaurant because that's actually, that's his passion. Mm. He's out there pouring water to the customers and talking with them because that's his way of getting feedback and unlearning what's not working. But they are evolving all the time. So they grew from one little delicatessen back in the early 80s now to 16 businesses and revenue of 55 million pounds by actually building a community of businesses and not looking at the cookie cutter yeah. approach. And they, were, they have been approached a number of times to do a franchise, but they just said, that's not right for this business. It's not in the soul. It took them longer to figure out how to grow, but they, of course, found a yeah. way that worked really well, but they also gave it time and patience. And I think, I think that's the... The thing. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's both so impressive about it and also, I guess, difficult to replicate in many ways. People are looking at a growth plan and they want to be able to put it on a piece of paper and say, I can apply this template to you know any concept. And you can't do what, that, what they're doing there. It's taken a lot of effort. They live that. They live and breathe that. And it's almost not replicable in the same way. So maybe it doesn't hold the same appeal for people that are, you know come up through various pubcos or restaurant chains and just think well this is the way i do business I, I i don't know what else how else to do it but i think that that ecosystem idea that that they talk about is really interesting because that ties to the idea of being embedded in the community actually understanding that you're dealing with human beings not just people on a spreadsheet uh, and really living that and, and i don't think you can you can fake that i think you know if people start with that idea then you just inevitably end up creating these richer deeper businesses with these connections that, that run through them right i think and the idea that you've got that organic growth you know they don't know they didn't know the journey they were going to go on i'm sure if you'd have told them when they started that they were going to have this community of 16 businesses they would have thought I, I don't i don't even know how to get there but as you say it's kind of an organic path and i think that's really interesting i think when you were talking to tom from honest burger they've mentioned about they're starting an almost a little incubator program so yeah. for any of their employees with a good idea an entrepreneurial idea they'll kind of help them i guess take the rough edges off some of those entrepreneurial ideas and give them a space to try and test it out and i think that that really reminded me of what i see as the the main reason to grow that i've you know when you see people justify it, if you take the, the shareholders out of it and think about the financial return for people who've invested money the only real proper impetus to grow is to grow to allow your people within the business to grow so inevitably that tends to people tend to think of oh i'm an assistant manager here you'll open a new site and i'll become the gm and therefore i've progressed and you know and you open and you grow people that way but that honest burger incubator idea or what you've talked about with zingerman is really interesting because it's almost another level of growth you're talking about there with people and you've, you're giving people a chance to grow much more three-dimensionally in, in in what they can actually do um and you know who knows i mean i don't know anything about the honest burger incubator or what they plan to do but i'm sure there is a chance for intelligent alignment and investment and that to become a path of growth you know in the same way that uh, chipotle in the u.s have you know developed other concepts like shop house and these other cuisine types to kind of as they they called them growth seeds and this idea that you'd have this other concept and see how it took in different markets so i think that idea of growing in a in a more rounded human manner i think is is also quite exciting but maybe the 
the unknownness of that is the thing that you know outside consultants or people who are used to a kind of rational way of thinking just wouldn't be able to get their head around what do you think I think as I was thinking exactly I was talking about how do I actually how do I do that because what I've been told before is the uh, the old commercial you know scale model Starbucks McDonald's did it you know get the concept right get the procedures right for that find the model to you know replicate that and then put it in the copy machine and do it again and again and again and yeah. suddenly I have a big land grab and that might be right for that time uh, and it was because you can see they're really taking global dominance and they that probably will not change for them no. but for the in the majority this is not a solution and i think that's what we've seen as well this doesn't work so therefore the question is what kind of work do i need to go back and do in my organization mm-hmm. and so honestberg is not doing the same as singerman's and union square hospitality is not doing the same as singerman's or honestberger so they all found their different ways but they all inspired about actually being clear about some of the more intangible things yeah. purpose vision mission and actually spending time on that hard stuff principle cultures and then from there they're doing experiments um, and one of the, the, the things I think that's really important here is actually they involve their people in these experiments. It's not yeah. like a top-down decision. And Tom talks a lot about burning down the Christmas tree and mm. involving people. And Ari, he talks about open book management. They practice for two decades. And it has not been easy the first five years mm. to involve people in financial and business decisions. Yeah. But as they have rolled this model in and this model idea about open book management come from the the great game of business from jake stack they will put that in show notes but again it's an approach to actually learning people financial skills Mm. all the way out to the dishwasher yeah so actually everybody's looking after the business in a way but these things doesn't come easy they take time and i think then people will say we don't have time but can you afford not to take the time now in the world we live in because yeah maybe we're wrong maybe you know, adding units is still the game and it will be successful. Well, I think it, I'm always conscious to try and see the overall picture. And I do always come back to a great quote from Rory Sutherland is that the opposite of a good idea can also be a good idea. Mm. You know, McDonald's develops, you know, this systemized way of working and that entirely works for the, for the, for the manner of, of that company and what they do. You can't apply the same principles to that that we're talking about here I don't think they fit together but I think almost what we're trying to do here is highlight that there are different paths and it feels like it's too often just the default that you do one and it's quite successful and then someone says oh let's do another and another oh we've got three now okay well I don't really know do I want to scale that do I want to go big well I want to you know retire at some point I want to have some more interesting challenges let's see if we can do it, it, it there's a default path and all we're trying to say is Perhaps particularly within hospitality, which is such a people community focused business in many ways, most of them, not always, but many of them are. It seems like this approach, this idea, um, this more organic idea of what growth is, seems like it should just apply more. It feels like the soul of hospitality and the people that work in it would be drawn more to this type of model i think that's what we're trying to say right i mean there's two out of the 14 companies or hospitality companies that are represented in the in the book but you know we can think of others that we know and, and have worked with who who take a similar approach and are kind of pushing in a, in a similar direction so i think we're just trying to offer yeah <laughs> a, a loud um a loud reinforcement that there is another way 
Um, but also, I think, I think the interesting thing, and it would be great, you know, if people out there listening to this think, oh, you should, you know, look at this company as well. Because I'm sure, like, Bo Burlingham found out that these companies are not on the radar because they are not in the news all the time. They're just doing their quiet thing. And then eventually Union Square Hospitality and Singerman became very known. Specifically, actually, a lot of it came from this book, but also Shake Shack that Danny Meyer created and... And, and scale that has probably brought a lot of attention back to yeah. the original business uh, because that's not how he scaled the original business. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, but I think the, the interesting thing is there's so many small businesses out there you can learn from and they never have the intent of being big and especially in hospitality. And I meet these people all the time because, you know, they don't want more than maybe one or yeah. two because they can't scale that soul of the business yeah. or what they want to have with the business. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be 100, 200, 300 no, doing exactly. this all the time. And I think that's the key thing. I think there is different ways. And, and I think if you have a model that works with thousands, we have to remember McDonald's have 36,000 restaurants yeah, yeah. in the world. You couldn't do that if you were basing that on the principles of what Union Square Hospitality, Onsberger no. and Ara is doing because it's the tailorism. It's, it's building, you know, control mechanism in, in everything you do is top down control exactly controlling outcomes to the to the to the to the last inch of everything and i don't think you can do that if you are setting up a business where you actually are focusing on you want to create that human experience no i think i think you're absolutely right i definitely think there are there are different different aspects to it there and i think that's one thing i don't know if you wanted to move on to the last chapter in in the book where they talk about 10 years on and some of the lessons and how these companies changed over time was there anything else you wanted to I pick wanted, up on? I wanted to ask you a question actually and to, because I, I've, I've been like really like I've been reading this book another book by a guy called Barry O'Reilly I actually interviewed him on the podcast last week and a super interesting guy in from the Tech Valley in San Francisco originally Irish and he has this question about unlearning all the time mm. what is that we need to unlearn so is there anything actually we need to unlearn when it comes to, to growth in hospitality David because I've been thinking about what is it that we, we unlearning we just have that you know sense and we can see things that are not working and we are just challenging it but what is it that if we should give people some like some things to take away well, I think something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently is actually this idea of effort. And, and I see so often, I think you can look at the way businesses scale from something excellent to something mediocre. And it happens a lot. Obviously, the casual dining kind of bubble a few years ago is a good example. But generally, it feels to me that so many places fail because they try to engineer out the effort as they scale. So you take good training and good you know, good people and good service and then you try and systemize that and process that or you know you have an operations director who's looking at you know three sites and now can you do 10 well i have to put more processes in place and we every time we try and scale we want to remove the effort because i've done that i've got the answer now so i'll just apply it to everything and then i've got to think about these bigger questions and i think for me that is the that is the path to failure for so many of these these places so I think we need to hold on to the positive side of effort, um, you know, and I think you can see that coming out of the businesses that 
that we kind of hold up and look up to perhaps you know in the UK here whether that's you know um, Hawksmoor or Deshume or Mowgli I mean obviously we've mentioned Gales and, and Honest already I mean I'm, I don't know all of those companies intimately but you can get a sense from the way they do everything that effort isn't being cut out in the way they treat the staff, in the way they approach the product, in the way they take every site and the, and the growth, the strategy for growth. And I think for me, that is the thing I'm seeing. And I, we see it from a design side, obviously. You know, we see it from sort of how, what type of site you're going to take, what effort you're going to put in. Can we just do the same as we did the last site? Well, why? You know, I think, and really it comes down to as well, what, you, what message are you telling your staff? Because as soon as your employees see you reducing the effort and trying to just... No, do the minimum and kind of get get to the end financial result. Then I think you set the the path of in a different direction. And I think for me, that's why so many businesses kind of just slope off into mediocrity. So holding that obsession with putting effort in to make it really excellent, which clearly the structure of these particular small giant companies, as they mentioned is set up to, to make sure that happens. But that, I think, is is really key. Yeah, and I think you're, you're spot on. And within that, the, then it's it's on all areas of the business. It's not just like on you know, the product, it's on how the experience we create for our customers, the employee experience, that how we actually make more impact in the, the communities. And I think that leads us very well on to 10 years on because uh, Bob Burlingham did an update and actually it was you the, the founder I didn't know there was an update actually and he went back and looked at all these businesses he's been writing about does this actually make business sense yeah, it was almost the most fascinating part of the book yeah. wasn't it because I think again you want to want to dig into this stuff and see the other side and and say well okay how did they respond to change did they manage to keep this mentality and I thought it was fascinating that a couple of them had gone out of business because mm. they they simply hadn't managed to maintain good margins or a good enough eye the business model wasn't strong enough to deal with the changes in the market um, which you know is it's a lesson in itself right um, and then there were others who had just gone through a very one of the biggest challenges with these types of companies seemed to be the issue of transition because you've got strong founders with founding culture and as they look to leave the business retire inevitably the question of do they try and get their employees to buy this do they sell it to somebody else Has, does that person have the same cultural fit how are things going to change it was really fascinating to read through two or three different ways that that played out you know broadly positive um so that was i think was was a really tricky problem that they were dealing with um, as as they moved out um and then i think just the realization that some of them had to completely change their business model because change is inevitable and mm -hmm. on any business no business is ever done you know no. it's never complete is it i like the idea that they emmy talks about at the end that for small giants greatness is a journey not a destination yeah. you can't be done it's not because the world isn't going to stand still it, it, everything needs to keep going um and almost his point was that some people decided when they needed to retire was the time when they didn't want to go in and solve that problem again when they, they didn't have the energy to go and solve those problems was the time that you know put the effort into that 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 was the time to kind of step back and retire which i think is again is a is an interesting thing um, but you were quite drawn i think by the by danny meyer's change of yeah change of mind or change of emphasis around his idea of growth which i thought was really intriguing yeah because the book i think it's 2004 it was published the first time and um, at that point, Union Square Hospitality were probably a handful 
of restaurants and then Shake Shack came along. And on that journey quite quickly, he took Shake Shack over to his own entity and actually set a team with a lot of emphasis on people from the old culture was put over there. But from they almost from, as they started scaling, Danny maybe was the chairman. He was not the CEO. He mm-hmm. found one of his good people, Randy, to, to support him in that. And also he learned in that process, uh, I think that must have been where he started to learn that actually growth is not negative because if you read Setting the Table, he also has a reservation against growth because it can actually harm the business mm-hmm. and your people because you can't you know, run with the speed of it. But actually you need to take growth as an opportunity to change, to make even better impact and actually make things better because actually growth can make you stronger if you do it in the right way and coming back to the soul and all those things. So uh, setting the table, that became their Bible in a way. Mm. Lots of people in the hospitality have been reading it, but they are obsessed about that, lives through everything they do, and that's how they manage growth in a positive way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've gone through the pandemic now, because you know, what's interesting, those 10 years we had, you know, two, re- you know, one recession in, in the end of uh, 2009, eight, mm. and then now we have the pandemic, whatever that's gonna be, that must be a recession state kind yeah. of thing as well, definitely in the, in the restaurant or the hospitality world. And again, I listened to Danny Meyer the other day on Master of Scale, where he talks about what they've learned and how they're adapting. And they have been needed to close down some businesses, but yeah. new business has evolved out of that because mm. they had to change. Eventually, you know, change comes. It's the only constant in business, as you just said. Yeah. So I think the really interesting thing is that he actually suddenly fell in love with growth, in a say, and actually leaned into it instead yeah. of resisting it. There was an interesting line, isn't it? He says that the worst thing you can do to a culture is try and maintain it. Yeah. And I thought that was, again, interesting to reflect on. I guess it comes back to the idea that you need to put constant effort in. We want to think, because we're busy humans, that we want to think we'll put a process in place or a vision or an idea and implement it and it will be done. But the reality is anything, any even an idea or a process or training or um, you know a human relationship, everything kind of erodes over time. And we, everything needs kind of constant maintenance and improvement because the world around us is also changing, like an ecosystem, right? And I think that can be a very overwhelming idea. And we anything we do as businesses inevitably means we simplify these things down to something that we can hold in our head um but this idea this acceptance that things are constantly going to change and we're going to constantly need to um, adjust to those that idea that culture can't be maintained it can only kind of grow or shrink is a really interesting aspect and it forces us to think well how can we make this change positive then how are we going to make this a a good thing for our culture Uh, and yeah and his idea that you, you use growth as a positive force to improve the culture sounds like an interesting an interesting challenge um i mean i wonder you know how much of it comes from the fact that you know shake shack has gone on its journey would he did he did he want that journey to go that way i don't know it's interesting isn't it because you, you how much has he learned from that how much has he been forced to to kind of look at that stuff from a different perspective because you know shake shack is more like mcdonald's than the rest of the union um, square hospitality group right um but you know interesting but also leaving control to other people like saying that's that's that journey i'm okay with that as long as these principles are lived up to in a way um but i guess as well he's seen that shake shack is still delivering 
better results and doing better than the average burger chain. Yes. And that's what it's about. It's about putting something better into the world and then just improve that 1% every day. Mm -hmm. And then over a year and over a decade, that becomes many times better. And, and I think that's the focus as well. Uh, it'll be interesting to have that question to, to Danny one day and hear, hear his thoughts. One day you'll get him on the podcast. You'll, pin, you'll, you'll pin him down and uh, you'll, you'll get all these answers. Um, but what, what I was thinking was really interesting as well uh, on was, as you said, some of, them, some of them died eventually and that was not just because they, they put all the right things in place when you talk about vision, mission and so on. But again, the business model didn't adapt. And I think again, it comes back to everything has to evolve. Like Ari talks about when I interviewed on the podcast as well about you as a human need to evolve all the time. And that same goes for a business model or a mm. business culture or whatever. We need to move it along all the time. Yeah. And that's the hard bit we never done. And we always yeah. need to strive for better. And Tom talks about it as well in, in you where he talk about we have this word over the door. It's called honest. Mm. We will never be done. We're on a journey. It's not the destination, he said. We can always be more honest. We are, are we honest enough with our customer? Are we honest mm. enough with our employees? Are we honest enough about the product we do? Are we honest enough about making a positive impact on the world? That's, and that's you know, a really strong word to have mm. as a guide. And many of these companies, as I said in the beginning, had that compass. And I think that took them through because how many businesses survive more than a decade in this world we live in today, especially in the restaurant industry? Yeah, not many. So I think that's why it's worth going back to uh, to look at these. Is there any any last thoughts you we, we should uh, should add to this, or sh uh, we should add? probably wrap up? I mean, the only thing another note I wrote down that um, I thought was interesting to reflect on as well is often you know companies that go into a high growth mode um, in terms of taking on more sites at some point inevitably that stops. And I just remember from it's a kind of adjacent industry, but when I worked at Westfield on the opening of Stratford, um, the, the shopping centre there, I was part of the development team as a design manager. And there's a very different team of people who are drawn to a development project like that. And then when the project opens, those people go, brilliant, thanks, that was interesting, exciting, um, learnt a lot, you know, this is you know, brilliant. And then they'll move on to the next challenge. And then the people who enjoy more of the day-to-day -day operations, the, the the maintaining part of the bigger, more stable environment will, will come along and kind of bleed into that company. And I just think there's a big cultural change that happens there. And if you're going into high growth mode and then, you know, we see a number of these companies that do that and then they stumble and fall or retract, that's the cultural issue that people are having to deal with because you've got different people who are interested in working in those places. Whereas I think what the small giants manage to do is they keep a very consistent approach to how they do this stuff. And that gives them uh, a more resilient internal culture. Uh, people know what they're joining. You know, there's so many stories of people who'd been there for 10, 20 years. Not, and that's not always what you want. But clearly there's something really positive that comes out of that. Um, that, that is worth people looking at. Um, I mean, I think my my only main point overall to end on was just all we want to do by highlighting this book is to get people to ask the question about what type of growth is right for their business. Um, and I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have all the answers. You've probably got more answers than I do. Um, but I think that question in itself is you know, one of the most important but difficult business business decisions to make at any point, particularly now as we come out of the pandemic, there are huge opportunities. What are you going to say no to?
because that's almost coming back to your first quote for Danny Meyer. What you say no to is probably going to define your next three years more than what you say yes to. Yeah, or even decades to come. Maybe. Um, and I think it's the it's the question of what is that actually? I think you know that, that we've gone from survival in the industry to we're probably still some kind of survival condition. But this is now the time to start thinking about how are we going to participate in the new era of hospitality and how is that going to look? And actually, how can we actually start thinking about, you know, I know right here now we need to get out on the other side whenever we are there. I don't think we're there yet. But I think this is also the time to have these reflections you say and uh, we, it's about what is that we need to unlearn as well. Because if it didn't work before the pandemic, why would it work? after the pandemic, especially when it comes to growth. Uh, and I think there's a ra- some reality check that not everyone can become the next McDonald's, Shake Shack, Starbucks, whatever it is. Even company that was really on that journey and really had success pre-pandemic are now reconsidering how they grow. Um, you can take Pratt here in the UK. Yeah, They're absolutely. definitely reconsidering how they grow. And I think it's healthy for everyone to step back, even though there's an opportunity of a, a good location maybe that location is not for you. Maybe if it's too easy, maybe you should also not do it because you probably need to put more effort in. And I think that question around effort, are we actually putting enough effort in everything we do before we actually move on to growing? Whatever that looks like, online, offline, more units, whatever it is, everything has a consequence down the road. Definitely. Good Good thoughts to reflect on. Okay, we'll wrap up for today more episodes to come in the future yeah thank you david so that's the end for today thank you so much for listening we really hope that it sparked off an idea or two for you we'll make sure to include any links and references in the show notes but if you'd like to start a conversation you can email michael at hospitalitymavericks.com or david at objectspaceplace.com you can also find them roaming around on linkedin so feel free to connect Finally, if you're enjoying this series, please consider letting the world know by honouring us with a five-star rating or even giving us a review. Okay, goodbye for now. Catch you next time for more discussions on hospitality and the infinite game.